Hi, you're listening to the New Space India podcast, a bi-weekly talk show that exclusively brings insights from the Indian space activities ecosystem. I'm your host Narayan, the co-founder of India's first space-focused think tank, Spaceport Sarabhai. Guests on the New Space India podcast help you understand space activities related macro and micro trends within India in all aspects including space history, local industry, space science, technology evolution, law and policy, art and more. The New Space India podcast is supported by Dassault Systems, a global leader in providing businesses and people with collaborative virtual environments to enable sustainable innovations. Dassault Systems Solutions supports startups, small and medium scale enterprises and original equipment manufacturers in developing disruptive solutions for space launchers and satellites. Hi and welcome to yet another episode of the New Space India podcast and today we have here Lucy who is a former CNES or the French Space Agency engineer and now diving into the new space world and supporting companies and founders and you know making the new space by bigger with all of her work and uh, we would love to hear from Lucy today her perspective on how is it to work with a legacy space agency versus stepping into the new space world and I'm stoked to hear about some of the insights on that direction so lucy thank you so much for taking the time and you know being on the podcast here thank you for having me great so before we get into new space and so on i would love to hear from you your experiences of uh, being in an environment like knes and of course you know i'm sure that you enjoyed a lot of the work there and but it will also be interesting to know what led you to taking the path that you're taking now you know with uh, stepping away from that kind of an agency background yeah for sure so let me first share with you my first day at work it was uh, back in 2012 i was a very young engineer just got my phd in electrical engineer and i've always been fascinated by space but i didn't really know what kind of job i could do in that uh, industry So I applied for it was a temporary position in one of the a daughter company of Knes which is called Medes it's very specialized in life science in space so very niche and it was my first day at work uh, on the Knes uh, location and I saw entering in the control room like all the people with a headset as you see on the on the NASA movie you know uh, in the Apollo program and they were all talking super fast massive screen with an astronaut doing uh, an activity outside the international space station so really like in the movie with um, a white suit and saying copy and roger and so on and i was super impressed and uh, this is how i started i started in human space flight it's really something that you do out of passion patients um there is lots of thing going on in space you discover everything what uh, how the body react in this kind of harsh environment what are the plan to go back uh, on the moon surface or even to send human to mars and for me that was completely fascinating and i felt that being at an agency i was really uh, at the core of this endeavor and uh, it was for me the right place to start and to ha- to step into this space world so the, the agency and at least knes had lots of uh, advantages 
first of all, in human spaceflight back in the day, we were quite a small team and a little bit different for all the people working, for example, in ground segment or satellite operation. It was something a little bit niche, you know, so we had more flexibility. Uh, what I really like is the fact that being with an agency, you directly in contact with international uh, partners because, as you know, Space is an international world. So you, we were talking with the European Space Agency, all the other uh, national agency in Europe, but also uh, traveling to NASA. NASA for me was, was just a dream, you know. It was something that you look up on TV and I would never imagine that me, I, I was 26, 27 years old, were taking a plane to Houston and meeting like the astronaut training uh, team, for example. So that was completely um, new and exciting. I really enjoyed my first year at CNES because thanks to the CNES branding, I was allowed, you know, to see stuff that the normal public would not see. Um, so after that, I worked approximately six years in the human space flight, both on consoles, so really with the headset, supporting onboard operation, but also in project development, scientific uh, uh, experiment, and so on. I had a lot of fun. And then I moved to another position within CNES. It was more on strategic and planning. And here uh, I enter the political world of CNES, because an agency, as you know, uh, space agency is political. I'm not uh, having any any judgment. It's not good or bad. It's just a fact. But for me, it was not what I was looking for when I, I entered the space world. To navigate into lots of lobbying and political constraint was difficult. And also, I had the feeling at one point not to contribute to uh, uh, a better humankind because I was basically running meeting and doing public speaking, but I was doing nothing with my hand. <laughs> and so this is why I decided to quit. It was a difficult decision for me because quitting an agency uh, position is something a little bit like you need to trust yourself that you're going to still be able to work in that industry and find something. Uh, but I, I thought it was a good time for me. And I always been fascinating by the entrepreneurs, uh, whatever is the, the topic. But especially in space, you have like, I don't know, 30-year-old people that decided one morning that they are going to build a micro launcher from scratch. And for me, this was super fascinating. And I find this um, passion and motivation that I experienced when I first started at CNES. So this is the, the reason why I change. And now I'm educating myself into the new space world uh, in order to meet entrepreneurs to see how I can help and how I can contribute to. Right. And from your experiences so far, I know that uh, you spent, of course, quite a lot of your career in the CNES world of happening things there. And now you're stepping into the new space world. Are there any, you know, very distinct environmental changes that you see from how things are done in new space today against you know the traditional ecosystem uh, for sure i'm going to state the obvious but what i experienced is the flexibility um, CNES and all the major industrial players they have super high technical skill super good engineer lots of money they do 
very powerful thing that I think uh, right now it's still only them that can do it. I'm talking about like massive scientific instrument, you know, this big mission. But when you have lots of uh, people working and a massive organization, you have some um, inertia. Do we say that? It takes a little bit more time to take decision, to to align, to change. And I think it's normal. Uh, it's a legacy industry. It used to be super centralized. It, there is lots of governmental um, interference and control because it, at the end, it's the money of the of the people working in uh, and working in France. So what I experienced in the new space is the fact that they they're able to to change idea or to pivot super quickly or to do something just on a table in a co-working space and say yeah well let's let's move to a qualification model you know without having uh, our process at CNES which is a phase zero what's the design phase A phase B like formal review in between, do we allow uh, additional money to do the next step and so on. So there is definitely a story of timing between these this two um, ecosystems. Uh, the second is that um, I see a lot, but maybe it's, it's, I'm a little bit biased. Uh, at CNES, we really, really care about uh, the scientific proof and background of a new product or a new concept. And the first thing that we ask ourselves is, is it, scientifically, uh, is it scientifically validated? Do we have done enough research that this is, the, for example, um, the real data or the real indicator? And we discuss a lot with the scientific community to say, yes, it's worth it or not. There is this, this idea of scientific excellence behind every project. And in the new space world, they just they say, okay, is it does it have the market? Even if it's not scientifically hundred percent the best, it's basically the first thing that they look for is a market go to market strategy. Is it going to like at the end they have to sell? So I think it's two different approach. Uh, the, what I experienced too is that we are starting especially in 2021, to work a lot more together. Uh, once again, when I, I started um, at this um, other position at CNES, I was in a team called Connect by CNES, and the idea, it was to make the link between the startup, the new space startup, and the agency. Because it's a little bit difficult to know what's happening inside the agency, who to talk to, who takes the decision, what, like who... Uh, how to get budget, how to get support, and so on. So we were here to basically guide new space entrepreneurs into the agency. Uh, we are a small team, approximately 10 people. And at the beginning, we had no idea uh, what to say, where to look. It was difficult also to find within CNES the right expert that would dedicate time to discuss with the startup. Because they are, and it's legitimate, uh, they were working on other projects, or they were saying, "Why are we helping this particular startup and not another one?" Like you have competitor, uh, I don't know why I should allocate some of my time, expertise, and knowledge to this small company in particular just because they reach out. So we had all these questions to discuss. Uh, we face lots of uh, criticism, and I think it's, it's normal. 
when you change things, it's, it's complicated. But now, um, lately, I've seen people much more open at Knest to onboard startup, to discuss with them, to see how we can have joint projects, to see how we can move from a grant situation to a procurement situation. It takes time, but it's much more friendly towards startup. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, at the end of the day, we can compare that to a lot that is happening in India, for example. Uh, I'm sure that uh, the work ecosystem within ISRO is very much like NES, that people are very scientifically driven and they want to have have all of this heritage and very low risk taking, uh, you know, attitude. Of course, that's also because of public money being involved to a large extent uh, as well, that uh, people should uh, make use of public money in the best possible way and not just throw it around in uh, making experiments and supporting young companies to simply do some random experiments that there is a, a return for the taxpayer to investing in all of this. What do you think um, is the relationship between startups and CNES or ESA or other such agencies that are here in Europe? And how closely do you think they work with each other? Um, not enough, I would say. Uh, I see two two positive signal here. First of all, we see that at the head of CNES and head of ESA, you have quite powerful people with like director position that are super in favor of discussing, discussing meeting in person, uh, going to the um, innovation cluster or hubs and meet the startup. It takes time to infuse to the other uh, stage of the industry, but having people on top that are super aware, I think it's great. Second thing is, uh, are you familiar with the, yeah, you're familiar with the Isabic incubator? So what I like about the Isabic business incubation centers um, is that they pair with local incubator in various geographical regions. And I do believe, but that's my personal uh, point of view, that an agency, we are not here to support startup um, within the agency. We are here to leverage like the whole um, innovation ecosystem, such as incubator, cluster, and all the people that are already working on their job and their mandate to help agency, and to basically give them a, a kind of... Um, uh, mandate, do you say that? Like uh, a kind of mandate for them to work in their local ecosystem. And I like this approach. I think the agency is not supposed to be everywhere. I'm not super convinced about corporate incubators that are within uh, a big company. Of course, there is super successful example of this case, but I don't think it applies to all the, the industry. And yeah, I, I'm agency and startup work a little bit together. This will, I think, will be accelerated in the next year, especially in France, because you, you're familiar with our governmental plan, which uh, is France 2030. They are currently investing massively into startup and new space. Uh, they just had uh, an invitation to tender that was issued two days ago, I think, on micro-launcher. They expect several uh, French companies to come with a micro-launcher 
project that is able to send the first payload in orbit in 2025. And this is really a clear signal that we are working together. I mean, it's always interesting that there is a, a lag between what happens sometimes in the US and then what happens to Europe, and then it trickles back to somewhere in Asia, right? So you have this uh, cultural movement of things that uh, go from like west to the east uh, a lot in that sense. I think, uh, you know, one of the things, of course, is uh, how do you encourage entrepreneurs to be successful is the key question at the end. Every government and every policymaker is possibly should be looking at that as the yardstick to look at uh, how do we actually make young people who are building these companies or even yeah i mean mature people who are then starting out young companies uh, can be made successful in one way or the other so from your experiences so far looking at uh, all of these things what instruments do you believe are effective in giving startups uh, fair chances fair chance in being successful yeah to answer your question i would like to take first a step back i think we are in a great industry because of the dream that is around and i do believe that the first thing that government and agency and public institution could do to inspire and to push entrepreneur to go into new space and be successful it's to continue to invest in the dream, to maintain the dream. So it's mean communicate about astronaut mission, communicate about moon and Mars. We have seen there is a James Webb telescope. When you look at it, when you look at the picture, at the movie, you know, it's something that is above us as human. And I do believe that the first thing that we could do is really invest in, it's not just marketing. It's really a driver for, as you say, young people, but also mature people that say, this is amazing and I want to be part of it. So that would be my first thing. Now, moving to actual measure, uh, as you know, to support innovation, most of the time, public institutions put grant and funding into very low TRL, ideation and proof of concept and small design. Then there is this massive hole <laughs> where you have to find uh, your seed investment or your commercial traction to be able to move on. And then hopefully you get procurement contract, but procurement between agency and um, new space startup, as you know, <laughs> is always a little bit tricky. So to make entrepreneurs successful, uh, I would recommend to strengthen the interaction between agency and entrepreneur because I've seen so many startups, they don't know how it works. They don't know how the budget are allocated. They don't know, for example, for ESA, the rule of geo return of how do you should be um, aligned with your national delegation in order to get funding on a specific topic. So there is lots of misunderstanding we should discuss more. Secondly, it's, it's great to support ideation and hackathon and lotrl uh, trl product but um, the agency could help by giving small contracts early on in the innovation uh, um, value chain another recommendation uh, we at the agency we use to know exactly what we want so it's not a a procurement it's usually invitation to tender where there is lots of requirement and at the end we get something that we we have designed in our mind. Maybe uh, have more flexibility, give 
uh, a challenge. Uh, for example, this is the, exa the example of the micro launcher. They call uh, from BPI France. They don't ask you to design a specific micro launcher. They just say, we want a micro launcher. It has to fly in 2025. And basically, you're free to, to propose anything. So moving a little bit to a less directed calls. Then I think it's procurement, procurement, procurement. Showing for a startup to have commercial traction with an actual order from a space agency that is a customer among your other customer. I think this is key for success. And uh, the agency are trying to implement that. Of course, it takes a lot of time and latency because you have to change your procurement policy and it's not tricky. But uh, that would be... Um, Another key. And finally, and lastly, the work that we do at, at Space Founder, it's to make, help make the European space tech scene attractive for private investment. We know that uh, investing in a new space is risky. There is a huge chance that our investor will lose their money. It's capital intensive. Most of uh, the companies are working on complex infrastructure. I'm talking about in-orbit servicing you know, this kind of project, you will have your first satellite in two, three, four years on orbit. It means that you need cash flow during four years. We have seen a um, massive seed series. Uh, I think Spaceforge, they raised over 7 million euros just for seed. Uh, the exploration company, I think it's a little bit more than 3 million. So Series A are growing. We need massive uh, private investment. And we, we as agency, I'm not working there anymore, but I still have, you know, this point of view. The agency could really support and leverage uh, this company to be in front of investors, to attract investors, because when you see the CNES, NASA, ESA branding on a kind of demo day or on an event, it, it shows a little bit. It is um, different from other things that you expect. So maybe I don't know what kind, what we can exactly do, but there is something to do around private investment and a startup company. No, I mean it's uh, it's fascinating to hear because I think there is a lot of commonalities in expectations and uh, also realities from what you say with what we see in India as well, for example. And that's where it is interesting to hear these opinions as well, because at the end of the day, we can then compare a little bit. And see if we are, you know, facing the stuff that we are facing is also faced in other parts of the world, or can we learn from stuff that is being done based on your learnings? For example, that's uh, the key here. And speaking about India, if I may, another thing that could be super interesting: we are working in a in just in a global eco, uh, industry. Space is global. You cannot do space in Europe. It make, you know, it makes no sense. We are not working enough with the US, as you say, they are a little bit uh, advanced, but we are not working enough with Asia, with India, with uh, Singapore, with Japan, with the Middle East. And another thing that could be interesting in order for the agency to support startups, the agencies, they have this international connection. We have MOU with like um, almost all the space countries in the world. To, to have a kind of startup, French startup or European startup delegation under the MOU, uh, going, for example, to India, meeting the entrepreneurs there, sharing the practice and doing business because at the end you can have customer or provider, supplier in another country. 
that's another way to strengthen the ecosystem and to work together. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So the problem, of course, is uh, trickling down of all of this to you know fairly small companies is always uh, a kind of an issue there. But beyond the financing problems and uh, you know agency related background and so on, I mean, how important do you think is anchor customers when it comes to the agencies uh, acting as anchor customers to a lot of the companies? It probably makes sense a lot for upstream companies, uh, especially because they're always looking for a, an anchor customer who believes in what is being built as new technology or so on. Is this something that you see as very important and procurement um, rules being modified to enable risk-taking by startups to have anchor customers uh, like Kness or ESA or so on? And how effectively do you think uh, things are open enough today for ESA or Kness to act as anchor customers in such risky propositions? That's a, that's a very good question. And I think here you're, you're touching the core of our problem. Uh, namely risk-taking. Uh, as we said earlier, a company, a space agency is working with the taxpayer money. So my question would be, is the society, society ready to be risk-taking? Because uh, basically me as a taxpayer, do I politically allow that a small part of my taxes go to be invested into a risky project? And the good sign is that we see the society changing as a whole. You know, uh, we see more and more people uh, wanting to be entrepreneur or uh, investing into uh, cryptocurrency or this kind of thing, even as individual, you know. So I do believe that uh, being anchor customer for upstream startup is uh, mandatory, not mandatory, a very uh, uh, mandatory way to support upstream startups and communicating, and I'm back with my dream uh, point of view, communicating on why we are taking this risk, what does it bring to our society, would help to change this procurement measure. I don't know if I'm clear in what I'm saying, but I, I think it, your question is super interesting. And I think the risk-taking approach from the agency, it doesn't come from the people working at the agency, it comes from the society. Yeah, I mean, again, it's a question of um, potentially leaders within these agencies uh, or even policymakers giving you know people a nudge saying that, please support these things because uh, this will allow us to grow the size of the pie for our own country or for our own uh, economy uh, at the end, right? So that's that needs some sort of a shift uh, in, in thinking about uh, these things. And it also needs probably some sort of a, a leader who believes in growing the size of the pie and not just uh, looking at uh, it from their lens of their own organization. Because from you know what I see today is that people are very protective about their organizations and their institutions at the end of the day. And that's where, you know, a lot of conflict can come up because they may think that by having other people possibly succeed outside of this organization, that uh, somehow the 
reputation of the organization or the legacy of the organization that they belong to is coming down, which has been historically the central organization, which are possibly always space agencies, right? I don't know if you get this feeling as well. I totally uh, get this feeling. I, I will be back with my story of first, back, first day at work. Imagine all the engineers that entered CNES 30 years ago. CNES was really, you know, the, uh, the space agency in France doing super advanced scientific project and astronaut mission. You enter CNES. You dedicated your life to build a sophisticated scientific instrument during 10 years, for example, before moving to the other years. You work hard. You're part of this family. We do shift during nights. So it's, you, you have this kind of a mentality that you're working in something exceptional. And then you see that we do less and less big projects. And there is more and more competitors that haven't uh, done their class. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to illustrate what people could think. Uh, they haven't done their class. They haven't worked on a big integrated system that go in space. They haven't done all this mission with international partners to discuss. They haven't worked during nights to, uh, to, look at all the health parameters of your mission, and they just came up, they are 25 coming from uni, and saying, yeah, I'm going to do that cheaper, faster. And it's, it's two worlds that are, that are just um, not discussing, like not aligned when you think about it. And what people fear within the agency is that if we give lots of money to the startup, where is the money for our big project? And I enter the CNES to do uh, the next... Hubble telescope, where is my chance to do that? So I, I fully agree with this kind of feeling. I think it is natural that people are protective of what they, they had and what they still want to have. Um, maybe working in a way that we are still doing massive big projects and that people interested in doing that still get a chance to be part of this uh, adventure. That could be great. Yeah, and of course, uh, you've now been a part of this uh, Space Founders, the program that is supporting uh, a lot of uh, young companies here in Europe to you know, raise their capital and grow uh, as a bigger uh, and uh, you know, more prominent company that has uh, much more customers and so on, not just at the early stages, right? So what is the basis of having a program like Space Founders and you know, how is it that you believe that uh, there is a need for support for European companies and uh, what kind of gaps that you, you know, foresee filling out through this? Yeah, um, this is a very good question because when I first met the Space Founder team uh, before working for them, I was thinking, why another accelerator, incubator? There is so many stuff that are currently uh, <laughs> happening. Do we really need another accelerator for space startup? The answer is yes, for several reasons. First of all, Space Founder is backed by the, the French Space Agency and the DLR in Germany and the University of Bundeswehr in Munich. So it means that what we just discussed, this link between knowing the, eco the startup ecosystem and the agency, 
is done via Space Founder. The CNES executives, they follow Space Founder. They come to talk to the startup. They come to the demo day. So they get to know the startup. And so they get to understand what are they need and then to put it back into the agency policy. Secondly, for the startup, uh, so it's our first promotion. So we are gathering feedback. But what they say is that it's always better to have a structured program targeting um, fundraising because they may have um, the same problem in order to attract private investment. And when we work, uh, we are 10, uh, 10 startups at a time. It's a cohort of 10 startups. They discuss with their peers. They discuss with external experts. They discuss with um, venture capitalists. And they, they also help each other. It's a kind of a community so uh, that they move all together forward. Then, once again, we use the CNES branding, DLR branding, to attract private investors. When you're a small startup, you have to have one person that is almost specialized in giving phone call to uh, potential VCs and to pitch and to pitch and to pitch. Here, basically, you have the agency doing the first step for you and gathering like 40 private investors at the same place, at the same time, saying, hey, we have scooted 10 amazing space startups. We think that they are going to be the leader of tomorrow. Please have a look. So imagine for a startup, you're part of that. It means that you, you save hours of trying to get the good investor and pitching and trying to get this first meeting. Uh, so th this is uh, all the reason why I think it's still interesting to have a space founder accelerator. Maybe in three years, it won't be necessary anymore and it will be uh, on another form, you know. Currently, we really try to bring value to the startup. It's our main purpose. We are uh, founded by uh, public money, meaning we don't take equity to the startup. We don't have interest. Our only interest is that these startups that we scout, they create jobs on the European soil, that they make money, and that they grow. So our job is to find out all the means, all the lever, all the people to make that happen. But I agree with you, maybe in three years it's not necessary to do that anymore, and I will be very happy. It means that they don't need us anymore. We have done our job. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's always an interesting proposition because uh, often I think there are lens that companies use because, you know, I also run a small company so I can see how, you know, people would see it from the company's perspective or a young company's perspective that people are always looking for, you know, more and more customers and uh, more and more investment as a younger company. But I also think uh, having seen this for about 10 years now, that there should be some other interesting things that should be done, you know, beyond all of these things from the space agency. And one of the things that comes to my mind over and over is having a trade and investment team in the space agency who are monitoring, uh, you know, the companies and the employment that they are creating and the value that they are creating for a particular economy and, you know, the tax returns that they have created. Uh, given to that particular economy and then you know you have an internal voice within the agency who is then making a case for either policy changes or investment mechanisms or risk taking or any of this because unfortunately 
when all of these things come from external agencies or external people it's always comes with a, a grain of salt and it always comes with some skepticism that people are only looking to get more money out of public pockets rather than uh, coming from inside of a organization right so i think that i haven't really seen this actually being done in many agencies around the world as well that people have created a yeah. <laughs> at knes they created the um space Economical Observatory. I'm trying to translate, you know, because we speak in French. It's uh, led by Muriel Lafaye. You can uh, check her on uh, on LinkedIn, and it has been created during the first lockdown, the 2020, when we had no idea what was happening. And the the idea behind this uh, economical observatory was to see the health of the industry. Uh, so we ask SMEs startup major lots of questions to gain uh, intelligence and to derive indicator on how the industry was coping with uh, this uh, lockdown problem so this is how it started uh, and there was a weekly uh, bulletin a weekly digest with all this information and after the lockdown they decided within knes that it was a great idea to monitor like uh, the entire industry and to to derive indicator and to really have market analysis in house so um this is still published every month there is a very small version that is publicly released with like investment job creation and so on but on the inside of knes there is a major report of everything that is happening we also uh, use a subcontractor sometimes to get very deep market analysis because at one point uh, we don't have all the knowledge but th there is this thing and it's then brought to the executive team so this all started uh, with the lockdown and with the only idea to say what can we do as an agency to support our industry and our suppliers and so on but it has moved so i fully agree with you this is something that we ex we see changing and i'm pretty sure that at isa they are doing the same i'm not i, I don't know the people but at knes follow muriel lafaye i'll definitely check uh, her out and i think it's a very interesting initiative i'm glad that you know people are moving in this uh, direction and i hope we also take the cue in india for uh, for this from a policy maker standpoint again when it comes to you know consolidation of regulatory requirements i am not sure how is this being thought of in in france uh, because you know in a country like india today uh, there is an exercise that is ongoing to consolidate uh, policy not policies but also with respect to licensing of uh, actors uh, between that is spread out often in four different agencies for example in the us for example it is fa fcc you know nova and the commerce department for example right and i don't know how this is being thought of in france is there any movement towards having a a single window clearance system with a single agency or a single organization looking at licensing and supporting all companies whatever be it that they want to do unfortunately no that i am aware of uh i may need to do a little bit of research to look at that and maybe i will come back to you with a, a more answer but i'm not aware of a wish to have a single policy 
agency. Uh, I do believe that is really, really linked with the European Commission, at least for France, and that if there is something that needs to be unified, it's working out at the European level. But once again, um, don't have the answer to your question. Sorry for that. <laughs> No, no, no worries. I mean, um, it's always good to know because uh, maybe the European, you know, space companies don't really have this problem of, uh, you know, undergoing uh, uncertainty in licensing and so on. Maybe it's very clear for them that uh, how the licensing process works. And also because France has, you know, uh, probably all this, this uh, space insurance and all of this story very, very well established already. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I don't know more. Uh, I think it's something to ask to the startup. I'm pretty sure that they <laughs> have difficulty to <laughs> to be compliant and get all the licensing. But uh, I don't know so much about that topic. Yeah, definitely. I'll some explore this, uh, you know, with some of the companies, I guess, in that sense. From all of the things that we, you know, discussed today, some of there are definitely some commonalities as to what we can do. Uh, in India, for example, and learn from some of the things that you guys are doing here in, in Europe, for example. But from what you see today, and you've now experienced all the landscape and you're addressing quite a lot of problems that are uh, out there in that sense. One of the core issues that I see is, especially when it comes to, you know, like maintaining competition and maintaining a return for taxpayer is very important because I think we may go too much on board in supporting young companies uh, as as governments in in some cases. Uh, the U.S. is, I think, one of the classic examples of this, where almost uh, all of the all of the companies uh, they stand on the shoulders of U.S. government demand as startups and they're getting tons of money from the defense department and in all of the other agencies that are out there. And there is almost no incentive to do business commercially because there is so much money coming from uh, these agencies that people forget that uh, they can also do commercial stuff at the end, right? So there is a very fine line that when it comes to this and uh, what are your thoughts about how do you actually incentivize people at the beginning of the funnel where they attain some sort of a maturity, but you make sure that the, there is a return for the taxpayer and these companies uh, do not become parasites on uh, taxpayer money? Yes, uh, that's, a, that's a tricky question. It's always a question about positioning within the innovation value chain and not being too proactive, but being there at a particular point where the agency support is needed. I think that you should know, and I'm pretty sure it's the same in India. The space ecosystem, yes, it's growing, it's rising, there is lots of players, but it's not so big. Meaning that when I used to be as an agency, the company that are applying to any grant that is out there, we talk together with the, all the public bank of investment, we talk together with all the public organisms that provide funding, uh, to start up. We, uh, as a, at CNES, we provide funding too. We spot them very quickly. And it's our, also our role to speak to the founder because we are still a small ecosystem and to say, hey, guy, we have seen you on this uh, grant, this accelerator, this incubator, this ITT from ESA. We speak a lot with ESA too. I think it's time for you guys to find your commercial customer. 
we don't we are uh, neutral meaning we select there is lots of process to select um, uh, a company that will win a contract and it's not based on uh, have you applied to 10 other contracts uh, before so this is something that we don't do there is very objective criteria because it's a uh, public money and uh, competition so we have to be super cautious about that however we take the liberty to to call the founders and say it's not going to work our guidance our advice it's really to move to a fine customer do you need help for that do you need to discuss with some expert do you want to be put in relationship with this particular provider that could be one of your customers so i agree with you but it's a small world it's known very quickly that you only rely on grants and I think the company doing that will not last for so long. It cannot. We are not in the US where it, it flows in flow. It flows our public money. It's still super scarce with respect to the ecosystem. And at one point, it doesn't work anymore. So, yeah, we have uh, to stay at our right place to uh, be here when needed, but be a little bit in the back when not needed, when the company progresses. And to act as a as a, a nice uh, mentor, saying, "Guys, this is not going to work." Yeah, and one of the other uh, aspects here is um, exploitation of uh, like agency to agency level collaboration trickling down to the startups or younger companies. This is also another interesting topic because we see, for example. France is the closest partner for space in India, right? So we do a lot of things in space together, a lot of missions together. I, I'm sure that you you know that there's French teams coming to India every other month doing something or the other in activities and so on. But a lot of this is today under the government-to-government -government framework that only happens at the agency level, right? It doesn't really trickle down to the companies and sometimes it does trickle down to companies on the French side because you know Chris then involves Thales or Airbus or some other company to build an instrument or yeah right so yeah how do you see you know potentially using such frameworks uh, or if it is possible at all because this needs a lot of uh, you know I guess bureaucracy to to take such an initiative at uh, and it may not be even possible in the short term, right? But there is a possibility. There is a possibility. I think it could be super interesting. When you look at, uh, at other public institutions, such as uh, BPI, so the, the um, French public ba bank, they have lots of initiative to, to work together with other countries at a startup level. Like meaning uh, they, they do a kind, I guess, of scooting and selection for a pool of company and they have all this program export program also get to know the ecosystem program and when you look at the website you see constantly like call for um, idea for asia for singapore for germany a lot so i do believe that even if the agency are not doing this job they could in intent um be incentive to other organisms that are specialized to have this uh, uh, startup ecosystem working internationally and say, hey, there is a space topic. Why do you always bring like food tech company to another country? Can we together build something around space tech? 
you know. And once again, I think the agency has to stay at its place. Now, we are not uh, we are not meant to be a, an innovation uh, a startup support program. <laughs> Basically, that's not the idea. But there is people out there that do that very well. So let's give them a little bit of expertise people and a little bit of funding and organize this together. I think it's totally doable and it's a, it's a matter of a political uh, wish, but I, I do believe that it's a great idea and it's doable and it could happen quite in a short time frame. Yeah, let's hope uh, you know there is some outcomes that come out of all of this and this is also something that we point to uh, often uh, as well. Uh, one of the other things that I see, I've never seen this on the French side as well, and this is something that I see on the Indian side as well, but I see the Netherlands and Germany and a few other countries doing it, which is the National Pavilion for Industry to have uh, its presence uh, together. I know that New Space Factory is doing something like that, where they allow uh, you know all the French companies to come together and stay in one booth and share costs so that you know, they can market themselves at a lower cost level. Uh, we don't see that happening in India yet. Uh, but, you know, those are very interesting ways of helping and supporting small companies. I agree. Uh, we've seen, so there is New Space Factory. There is also a Alliance New Space, something like that in France, and also a um, consortium called Yes for lobbying because it's a legacy industry. We need lobbying <laughs> to to be visible and it's first of all i just uh, learned yesterday that this is a professional job in europe like people are professional lobbyists for space I was like i had no idea uh, but basically if you're a small company you're already super busy lacking of manpower to do your stuff you don't have time to go to brussels to advocate for whatever you're doing so we have seen alliance for marketing uh, to share marketing costs to be a little bit more visible in the international scene and to share lobbyists. Uh, but uh, I agree with you. It, we could be inspired by uh, Germany and Netherlands that done that at a much larger scale and it's much more structured uh, to, to, to have something that is uh, more powerful. So I'm in line with this and uh, let's see how it will evolve in the next future. Great. So... I would like to, let's say, end this particular podcast uh, by having some interesting thoughts about the future uh, on how you see this as well. From what you see today, can you tell me a rough number of order of magnitude of startups that are involved in space-related activities in Europe and how much percentage of that is in France? I mean, it could be a rough guess as well. I know it's a very difficult question. And, you know, how do you see this uh, in the next, uh, you know, five to ten years? That's a very difficult question. I should have taken notes. <laughs> yeah. So what I know, in terms of a rough number, I have no idea. I would guess 1,000 all over Europe. So does that make sense? But what I've seen recently in the news, that the two uh, most dynamic countries in terms of New space startup are Germany, and we have seen in the news recently a lot of uh, Isar Aerospace, Minaric, Reflex Aerospace. They just won, you know, this massive consortium uh, for um, uh, the new constellation from the European Commission. We see Minaric going public. Uh, they are 
constantly in the news and I think there is a very strong, strong ecosystem in Germany. Second country that I see a lot is uh, England. Uh, I don't know if you share my uh, my point of view, but uh, when you so I, you know I, I monitor all this trend and I have uh, lots of uh, articles that come every day to to understand what's happening and I see that there is definitely something going on in uh, in the UK. Uh, it's something that I've also experienced when I was working at the agency uh, through the England uh, the UK delegation national delegation. Super dynamic. Uh, I, I've met a lot of uh, Libby Jackson. We used to work together in the International Space Station um, teams a long time ago. She is really, really into commercialization, application, new, new space, and so on. So I see uh, as a, a kind of polar ecosystem with Ger uh, Germany and uh, northern country like Sweden, Finland. There's lots of things going on, Netherlands that are working in one part. And then you have French, Spain is also uh, quite uh, quite interesting. Italy has interesting company. But it, it's very, when you look at it, I will be back with um, uh, the story of the European Commission granting two consortium for this feasibility study for the constellation of, um, of uh, secure and quick uh, communication. When you look at the consortium, you really see these two polar uh, ecosystems. You have one led by the German with Northern Europe companies, German company. Of course, there is um, some other thing, but you really see that. And one led by the French with the Ancine Lab, Loft Orbital, and Euroconsult, I think. That is more towards Western Europe, not Western Europe, but Western part of Europe. So... What I fear, but once again, it, I may be wrong, is that in the near future, yes, there will be a growing ecosystem, lots of new players and so on, but we will still have these two parallel ecosystems that are competing with, uh, with themselves. So I'm back with Space Founders. Space Founders is a French-German uh, program. And basically, what we try also is to make all these people work together, not only with the people you know because they live in Munich and in Berlin or they live in Paris and in Toulouse, you know, to have this thing. So my tendency for the future, maybe to be more reunited and not to split. Second tendency that I see a lot is a micro-launcher. There's so much going on in the launcher world. There is so much company, so many companies, so many things. Will the market be saturated? Is there another place for a micro-launcher? That's a question I'm absolutely not able to answer, but it's something to monitor for the future. Third big tendency is um, space data marketplace. I believe that there is so many players into geo-intelligence, space data analysis indicator, and so on, that there will be or should be a kind of ecosystem uh, that is um, safe, that has a proper governance to exchange and market uh, space data and space services that are um, attached to the data. So this is what I, I won't say predict, but what I think is going to happen, but it's moving so fast that uh, at the end, I have no idea. Yeah, we should revisit this conversation in a few years and then see what happened. <laughs> see absolutely nothing. 
it will be the rays of in-orbit servicing and space surveillance, you know, something, uh, nothing with what I just said. No, it's, I, I would love to hear your point of view on that. Yeah, we have to wait and watch, I guess, because, you know, at the end of the day, we in space are governed by what happens in markets outside of space, primarily. And, uh, you know, the economic situation outside of space is getting trickier by the day. And I'm sure that that's going to have a deep impact in the next, uh, you know, 12 to 18 months or so uh, on what happens in space. And I guess it's a question of how many companies can then make it through all of that and survive and uh, and build a business that actually sustains. Do you think it's going to be a bubble? I mean, we are in many places in a bubble. There are, I don't know, 85 companies building thrusters and uh, 180 <laughs> companies building launchers. And, you know, for sure, there are uh, small bubbles in the industry in different uh, places uh, and different technologies. Uh, and it's a question of, is there enough demand for a lot of these things uh, and that connects back to consumers or connects back to businesses on the ground and are using all of these. But I think those are the questions that will be answered in the next like three to five years. Well, let's meet again in three to five years to see what happens. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, Lucy, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been uh, a very you know, enthusiastic conversation for me to learn about a lot of your perspective. It also kind of gives me some sort of validation for some of my own thoughts with respect to India as well. And it's very interesting to see the parallels to, you know, to have in one place or the other. And then there are, of course, in many aspects, uh, things are much ahead in Europe and the opportunity uh, and the maturity available in terms of support for companies here in Europe is, is a little bit ahead in what we have in India. But uh, it's also, I think... Um, will be interesting to see what is happening as well. Because for me, I think a lot of the companies in India have to run with a cockroach mentality because they have no support from the public uh, instruments. And so you either make it commercially or you die. So there's only two choices. There's no middle ground. Yeah, but it's as you said, it, it's, when you make it, you really make it. So it's, it's also it's another ecosystem. It's another way to work. I'm not saying that one is better than another. I think it's two different things. But here, at least, you don't fall into the pitfall to be full of grants and then has no commercial traction. So at the end, it may be more difficult at the beginning, and then you, you really have super strong um, company. Uh, of course, there is maybe something in the middle to... <laughs> to work, like having a little bit more of support at the beginning, but then be less um, in, the, in the company um, uh, growth than what we do here in Europe. So there is a trade-off between the two approaches to do. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you again for taking the time. And uh, I wish, uh, you know, the 2022 to be prosperous. And I hope all your efforts with Space Pounders and others take off in a big way. Good luck with all of that. Thank you. And likewise. Thank you for listening in to this episode of the New Space India podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share this episode with anyone you believe will enjoy listening to it. You'll be able to find the New Space India podcast in any of the podcasting platforms that you may be using, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and others. Do subscribe to the podcast in case you want to receive new episodes automatically. I'm grateful if you're able to leave a rating for the podcast, which will help others discover it. 
Thank you for listening in again and the next episode will be out in the next two weeks as usual.